Welcome to the Power Kid Podcast, the premier and longest running podcast focused on the modern toy and entertainment industry. Power Kid is an award-winning design and development firm, and we are a proud member of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. Adventure Media is the publisher of your favorite industry publications, including the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. I am your host, Phil Albritton, and I bring you great conversations with talented people making amazing products for kids. Toys, books, games, TV, movies, I bring them to you here every episode. Welcome aboard. Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every week it is my honor and privilege to come here and share these amazing conversations with people from all over the toy industry making great things for kids. I have such a great guest today, Julian Sharp. Let me introduce you to her. Following several years of running a digital creative agency with offices in Miami, New York, and Denver, Julian co-founded the design and creativity-focused toy game and gift company, Funny Bone Toys. Then as director of sales and business development for What Do You Meme, she built a U.S. and international wholesale program from the ground up. She is currently the director of business development for Spin Master, and she leads creative sales initiatives across all channels in the game's global business unit. She works closely with global brand marketing, production, inventor relations, licensing, and sales units. Guys, she's done it all. Julian, welcome to the show. Hi there. Nice to be here. Such a pleasure to have you on the show. Julian, you have just a a wide array of experience, and I'm just really looking forward to diving into everything, including what you call your first career, which is really interesting. But I always start in the very same place. How did you get started in the toy industry? Well, sure. So actually, I started in my first career, which I will now share, is uh, as a cruise director. I spent uh, almost 15 years uh, in the uh, industry. And uh, one of the things that was really important was making sure that those guests had a great time. And imagine if you were on a Caribbean cruise with several days at sea, and all they want to do is lay by the pool and drink nice drinks and have a good time, um, and it rains every single day. And the responsibility is on the entertainment team and the cruise staff team to make sure that they don't mind that they were on a Caribbean cruise in the rain. You can't just pull out a basic game and just say, hey, go play this. What we did was we literally made up our own games, crazy scavenger hunts, um, silly um, acting games, all kinds of things. We put them up on the stage and we had, our job was to make sure that they had so much fun all day that they didn't even feel like they were missing out on anything. So we got really good at making games. Uh, that kind of led me into uh, my ne- the break between my two careers when I uh, got a master's degree and I was, it's a psychology degree, but it was focused on group dynamics. And so that kind of helped with even further with gameplay. And at that point, I co-founded a company called Funny Bone Toys. And uh, that was uh, how we really, I, I got started in the specific toy industry was with three games that we launched in Toy Fair in 2012, got picked up into all Barnes and Noble stores, and we were off to the races for the next five years. Uh, sold that company to a company in Canada. And then I joined, as you mentioned, um, What Do You Mean? to work on their wholesale program. And then uh, I've now uh, transitioned as of 2019 here to Spin Master. 
<laughs> I love this. Of all the unique stories that we've heard on the show, this is in the top five. This is just fantastic. A cruise director. And I love how you connected what you did as a cruise director on those rainy days, on those rainy cruises to what you do now in the in the toy industry. And I'm really interested in the crossroads between those two. You have a completely captive audience on this cruise ship that expects to have fun, right? They have paid good money to have fun. And so you have to come up with things for them to do. And it sounds like a focus of yours was games. Now, was that a go-to in the cruise industry to create games in those moments? Or is that something that came out of your love of games growing up? Where did that come from? Well, I think being good at making up the games comes from a love of games um, from the time I was a young child. Um, as, as I grew older, the games progressed, and I just always, always loved them. And I loved the feeling that you had when you played a game, especially ones that made you laugh. So I've always had that love. Um, but you, it's an interesting thing in when you say in the crossover is um, basically the uh, – customers that come onto or the guests that come onto a cruise ship, what are they looking for? They're looking to get away from work, from the struggles of day-to-day life. They want to be distracted and have fun. But the exact same thing happens with games. So say you've had a really hard day at work, you can sit down in the evening with your family or your friends and play a game, have a drink, sit there together, and it just is a totally escapist um, sort of uh, moment. So I think it's a really important thing to realize that the how a vacation can be the same thing as a, a moment playing a game. And I think that's what's a really important point, especially now with, with COVID, um, you know, it's a, a whole different game, <laughs> pun intended, for everybody because we're all home and we're, we're, games are even more important than ever. We're not able to take those trips like before as much, at least for the near future. So I think games become even more vital. I will tell you one funny thing, the uh, uh, moment on cruise ships that was the, it took every single power that I had. We, it was a, a, a semi-world cruise. It was like literally from England around South America and back to England. And through a series of misfortunes, um, we ended up with in a brand new ship with no games on board, no uh, activities, no nothing, and many, many days at sea. And we literally had to raid the kitchen, the engineer's cabinet, <laughs> and make games out of parts and pieces and things that with absolutely nothing else, no feathers for decorations, no costumes that we usually would do. Everything came literally from the basics of the ship itself. So um, after that, I felt like I could pretty much invent anything. <laughs> Well, they say necessity is the mother of invention. So, oh, my yeah. land. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And your master's degree in group dynamics. Now, that's very interesting to me, too, because, you know, you mentioned we're, we're in COVID. We're, we're, we're hunkered down. Uh, we're with family. We're close. There's some group dynamic things that are happening now that have probably – not happened in hundreds of years, um, just the closeness at which we have to be. And so I'm wondering, uh, what are you hearing as far as games that people are playing that are bringing families together around the table? What kind of games are people playing right now? And then let me ask you this. Once COVID blows over, do you think that families will be ready to move on to something different or Will we have rediscovered these old games and continue playing with our families? Okay, I can definitely answer that question. It sounds like it's a two-part question. What well, I think right when COVID sort of happened and people were stuck home, they 
were desperate for any game. So whatever was sitting in their house is what they started to play until uh, they could get some games, you know, online sent to them. In the beginning, it seemed like maybe a lot of the millennial parents were revisiting games they remembered as a child. So a lot of the standards from the classic games, from chess and checkers to um, dominoes, and even to some of the, you know, the old standbys of, you know, that everyone has played as a child. But then, of course, the uh, pandemic has gone on a lot longer. And what we've seen is a shift to people wanting all kinds of different and new games. Oh, and especially puzzles. I also, um, my division at Spin Master also focuses on puzzles. And uh, it's insane about how, how much that has grown. People want enjoyed to do puzzles, particularly adult puzzles. So I think that's been a really big uh, part of what people were doing is, is they've transitioned in these many, many months of, to the types of games that they play. Um, after COVID, which all of us just can see that as a, a light at the end of the tunnel, um, I have a feeling it's going to be very similar to how it was after 9-11. Uh, when that happened and people were staying home, they certainly weren't traveling on planes. Um, a lot Games really hit. That was where games took off. Board games took off for the first time in many, many years from child, not just being a children's thing or a nightly poker game. It was a you know resurgence of the games. And everybody said, oh, okay, well, once things calm down, that'll drop off. Well, it didn't. It plateaued, certainly. But it kept games to its, you know, current, you know, pre-COVID popularity um, that have exploded since then. And I have a feeling that people rediscovering these games um, will continue. I think we'll have a, a little bit higher uh, rise and a, a certainly another plateau, but I don't think it'll go back to like, oh, I'm not going to ever play a game again because I can be outside. I think people have discovered the joy, the simple joys of being with family. Um, certainly for the next few months, uh, even getting together with people outside your home are not supposed to be large gatherings. So I think friends are very careful. Uh, uh, for the most part, you know, picking and choosing, you know, the five or six people they might want to see. And games are going to be a big part. I think there'll be a massive draw to get big groups of people together to play these games, to get close, to get around the table. So that's that's great to hear. Uh, I want to dip back into the past a little bit. Funny Bone Toys, very unique product line, has a very clean aesthetic, minimalist design. Why was that important to you? And, and how did that benefit you growing that company? Well, I have to say, I um, I credit Funny Bone Toys with really, truly, um, even though we talked about the the cruise directors and the experience and things like that, I really credit Funny Bone Toys with the entry. I'm so proud of the work that we did. Um, we really did not have any industry experience at that time. So I think maybe that was a blessing in a way because we didn't know what maybe we couldn't do. If we, uh, Many people, when they started to see our designs, they said, I don't think that's really going to fly. It doesn't look like other games. And that's kind of precisely why we designed our first three games, Spectrix, Array, and Kubu, which were the Art of Card Game series, three uh, different card games that were merchandised together. Um, and uh, we had had an opportunity in 2009 living in New York City to um, the co-founder and I of the company to get into Toy Fair. <laughs> we actually got to walk the show. And I we were struck by that all games looked alike. We thought they all just looked very much alike. And we said, you know, there's really pretty games that are like chess and checkers that sit out on your table, but there's not really any other games. They all just go in the closet and look, you know, just stacks of games in the closet. That's how I remember my closet as a kid. And so we said, you know, we, I think there's a market for um, 
design focused games that you can play like card games but then you know they look pretty sitting out and uh so that's what we did we we did black boxes um with some really bright um not quite neon but very bright colors and um and they were just three. So we just built them around simple concepts. So Spectrix was a color rummy game. Um, Array was a color domino card game with different uh, you know counts around the cards. And then we did Kubu, which was a sort of a color sequencing game, which actually was I, I loved that game. But uh, anyway, uh, they were all rather designed around like say the Bauhaus period. Some of the colors that Paul Klee used, um, the Albers uh, with his. Um, uh, homage to the Square art series. That's what Cube, Kubu was pretty specifically designed after. And I had a consultant send people helping me in the uh, to get like, what do I do with the case? How do I pick a, a manufacturer? Things like that. But um, at the end, you know, people said, well, you know, they look real pretty, but I'm just not sure. We went to Toy Fair, and that, like I said, um, Barnes and Noble picked them up. Um, that next year, we were in places like Crate and Barrel, West Elm, um, and it, it became, you know, we we ended up in several thousand uh, doors around the U.S., um, Canada, um, and hadn't really got to international. But when we were able to sell it, we sold it to a company that's taken it, the, the product, many of the products international. So that's a, a goal fulfilled as well. That's fantastic. So for no industry experience, that was a tremendous amount of insight to look at the game space and say, well, they sort of all look the same. They're all, they're all very bright, and colorful and, and big. And we want to do something different. We want to go minimalist. Um, and you say that that. Uh, many folks in the industry uh, even didn't see that at the time. No. Um, what would you say about uh, creating products that shift counter to current trends? Is that the way to go often, always? You know, at the end of the day, um, I wouldn't say anything is ever 100% always or never. Sure. So, um, again, I'm not sure if I'd been an industry veteran, if I would have taken that approach. One thing I will say is that it has, I've seen more and more beautiful looking games in a box and board games. I feel like design has followed, you know, maybe we set a trend um, or at least we were early on, even if we didn't set the trend, it was already coming. But um, you know, we, again, I think truly, um, you know, we might've gotten a little bigger if we'd done a few more mainstream games, but I think we did exactly kind of what we set out to do. We wanted to, to make a company that had multiple SKUs, get internet, you know, national, um, presence, uh, be a household name. We certainly did that with with one of our games. Um, you asked, what uh, I think we talked earlier, like what products might we be most proud of or might I be most proud of from Funny Bone Toys? And I would say that I have two in particular. Uh, one is Spectrix, which was our very first game um, that uh, it was our second bestseller all overall, and our first bestseller, which is Disruptus. And I think that's where we really made a name for Funny Bone Toys was with that game. So, um, you know, that that design focus of the first few games led us to making Disruptus. So for me, I have no regrets in in taking that chance to go and think about design because that thinking of design also made us think about how people design, how creatives think and work. And that led to the game Disruptus. That's fantastic. Well, and in an age where children are inundated with digital games, they can be very bright and loud and distracting. Something minimalist like this is going to find a market, I think, for years to come. I absolutely um, it's agree. Refreshing. I yeah. agree. And it's funny when we were in the transition of the sale in 2017, um, the company 
uh, was remaking Disruptus to make it more bilingual. So it had like getting rid of some of the words on the die um, to use symbols instead. So there was a lag in Amazon between um, uh, having product and not having product, not having product and then fitting the new one in. And uh, we got emails after emails after emails. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? So it was kind of neat to see that. Now it's, you know, back in stock and uh, again, international. So I'm just, I'm just really thrilled um, with that. So the game is kind of the idea of, of how can you create, improve, transform, or disrupt everyday objects. And we used Talking Minimalist, basically large cards, like four by four cards with simple objects, just like a spatula or a uh, a pencil or a pair of roller skates or a shopping cart? What can you do to take parts of those and make something new? So it really, really has a, a, a the creative element that I do know stemmed from us going into that whole company with a design focus. That's great. So stepping from a product line that disrupted the aesthetic and went counter to the trends, let's talk about your next foray into the industry with what do you meme that tapped directly into a current cultural trend, which is memes and electronic messages that we send ourselves. You were the uh, director of sales and business development there. Mm-hmm. What makes that game brand unique? And and talk about tapping into um, a larger cultural trend. Well, it's interesting. Um, I was, as I mentioned, we were selling Funny Bone toys through the end of 2017. And um, one thing that I did miss uh, joining the toy industry was the fact that I didn't get to ski as much because all the major trade shows are January, February, and March. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going to take some time. I was planning, uh, you know, I was thinking around this at at the end of 17 and I'm like, oh, I'm going to ski for, you know, I'm going to ski a little bit this year, you know, this this, this winter. Um, And I got a call from a recruiter and they said, well, we've got this opportunity. And they said, the thing is, it's likely not for everyone. And it's in the, it's a new game company. And I said, I said, well, if it's not for everyone, then it's probably for me. Let's hear it. And what was so interesting is that not only was it tapping into memes, it was actually tapping into, uh, what was kind of really started with the success of, say, you know, the first few adult games that came out, it was truly an adult game. Uh, I mean, it went there. 17 plus really, really, really went there. And I grabbed, I had the interview on a Monday. I literally ordered overnight a copy of the game. And I remember, remember how I mentioned earlier how much I love to laugh when I play a game. I haven't ever laughed so hard at the time. So I said, oh, this is great. And they were having great success um, in online channels and some of the mass channels, but hadn't really set up a a, more wholesale program specialty mid-tier. And that's my sweet spot. That's uh, most of what we sold um, for Funny Bone Toys. So it was a real fit as far as having that experience. Um, It's awfully fun, though, to go into into a store and say, hey, look at this. Look at its success and how popular it is. It just, it sells itself. So that was, it was really fun to, to set up those distribution channels. Um, I really enjoyed that time there. Um, the thing I loved the most was working with the international distributors. That was one thing I hadn't had a chance to do with Funny Bone Toys before it was sold. So getting a chance to do that was really, really wonderful. Um, made some amazing um, international partners, um, watching it be translated to German and trying to, you know, obviously the, the jokes and even the dirty stuff is different in Germany. So they have to have different dirty stuff, but they wanted to go there too. It was really fun to see those, um, Spanish, German, um, it was, it was fabulous. So yeah, really, really fun. It's very interesting to take that game from mass market where it was successful into a specialty channel. When you were doing that, were there things that the specialty market wanted you to change? Packaging, um, the way the game played? Were, were there 
differences that they wanted you to bring about in that game? You know, certainly to an extent, to the extent I can really speak about it today. Um, I, one thing that we, was a good selling point was that the cards were inside. Not one naughty card was outside on the box. The box mm-hmm. said, you know, a game for people that love memes. So that was really good for specialty as far as that goes. One thing that we did do, um, I think pretty soon after I got there, was we divided the cards inside. So there was a, a shrink-wrapped set of cards that were the like say 90 out of 270 that really what I'd say went there um, that said, you know, these, these are the ones. So the, so the parent, if the parent wanted to play with their kids or if someone was an adult that didn't want those cards could easily grab them out and put them aside without having to sort through all of them. And that sure, was a big sure. selling point. That's basically what we did. That's great. No, that, that's, that's a really good, uh, let them customize their own deck according to what they're comfortable with. Exactly. They could add <laughs> them in, take them out. We marked them on there. It was good. It was good. I think that was a good running change to put in. Yeah. Very good. Very good. And so on to Spin Master, uh, you become the business development lead and the head of the trends team at first. Um, what were your goals in that position? And, um, you know, I'd love to hear some tricks uh, for finding and tapping into current trends. Well, I think I've got it down now. That's how it works for us. I'll tell you a little bit of the story. I got hired as a business development manager, and I was very happy at What Do You Mean? But uh, this opportunity was uh, a new position, and it was just too good to ignore. And I wanted to work for a large company and really excited to work for the second biggest game company in the U.S., which Spin Master is. And uh, so when the what I was really hired to do was to do similar to what I do today, but basically for specific channels. So I worked very heavily in Amazon and e-com. I also worked in the specialty brick and, you know, brick and mortar mom and pops and the mid-tier sort of emerging market channels. Um, so that... Uh, while I was doing and, and building sales and, and, and development into those channels, um, the games uh, lead decided to make a trends team. And I'd been always, you know, thinking of these ideas or sending things I'd seen. And they asked if I would lead the team. Um, the team really started in January, which is really pre-COVID, right, like right before COVID. So we only had one or two in-person meetings. Um, I picked a rather small team just to kind of get it started. Um, we stayed in touch during COVID, but uh, you know, it was more on obviously on Zoom. But we did come up with a couple of ideas that are going to be actioned in 21, which is just thrilling to me. So there was nowhere to go but uh, but um, to expand onto that. You know, we really wanted to have, you know, we were really excited that we had that early success. So um, concurrent to that, uh, they games team did a little shakeup in the sales and they've uh, I was promoted to director of business development. So adding to the channels I mentioned, I now will, you know, oversee sales initiatives. So basically what kind of packages can we put together, what kind of programs out of aisle, end caps, things that we can do, new products, um, working with brand for not just the uh, Amazon and those type of channels or specialty, but also the value channel, the drugstore channel, the grocery channel, which all have very, very different needs. So it's really going all the way across. And I'm also working with Canada as well across all channels. So um, with that, the main thing I wanted to do was to um, increase the trends team. So we, I added two sort of more co-chairs. So I'll be the lead of the trends team, but I have two amazing people that are co-chairing so that when we get on a Zoom call now, they can run breakout rooms. We've added and increased the number of members to the team. And um, I will tell you that find, here's the trick to the, I, I feel, is that, you know, finding great minds from all departments and all experiences and interests. See, everybody has different interests, right? So one person just sitting there, you know, 
you can read all the trend reports you want, but when you have somebody that's truly there interested in that and brings it and lights a spark, it's really, really uh, mind-blowing what the team can do. So that, I think, to me, is what, as we've expanded, looking at the successes of the you know rather truncated uh, start with the COVID and now expanding it, we're all comfortable on Zoom and what we're able to do, it's just finding the team that can bring all those very different experiences and not just say from the creative department, they have to come from everywhere. Um, and if they're passionate about something, it's really fun to hear them talk. Yeah. A great idea can come from anywhere. A great game mechanic uh, can come from anywhere. It, it's not, it's not relegated to just the creative, you know, marketing folks or the design team. That's exactly right. Exactly. Exactly. And somebody random had an idea early on um, that wasn't even part of the team, but it said, Hey, what about this? And then all lo and behold, you know, a uh, uh, a buyer months later said, Hey, what do you think about this? And I put that email back, you know, you never know how it's coming. It's just, uh, it's really interesting. So I think it's a valuable uh, part of, of, of our, you know, games uh, focus and how we decide what we do year after year. I love, I love that Porsche. I love the whole job, um, but that's really uh, been very, very fun. So Julian, now as the director of business development for the game global business unit, I'm interested, what does Spinmaster look for in its next great game. You, you said you love to laugh, so that's definitely on the list. Um, but then, you know, managing the games category, uh, what is Spin Master looking at doing to, to push games into the future? Well, first of all, I am always drawn to, I, 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 back to my uh, previous roots, I'm drawn to games that make me laugh. I love adult games. That's my little guilty pleasure. <laughs> I love to just belly laugh and things that do that. I, I'm always on the lookout for and opportunities for that. Um, but overall with our games and our puzzles, because basically we're not just really Spin Master games, we're Spin Master games and Spin Master puzzles. You right. know, Targeting all ages, we have a very focused team specifically for adults, specifically for kids, um, families, and all, you know, very particular there. Um, we really try to just find the perfect antidote for an increasingly technological world. Speaking of the kids that now have to be in school on their screens, their um, viewing of streaming, you know, other content has gone down a little bit because it's screen fatigue. So our our games for kids are so important. Um, The other thing is too, is, you know, our, our, our vast array of classic games. And I'd mentioned earlier how, um, people had gone back to their roots that they'd played when they were kids, like say a millennial that maybe played checkers with their grandpa had never even thought to have that in their house, but now is bringing it in for their kids. So, you know, we are very, very uh, well known for the amount wide array of classics. And I cannot believe what is coming out next year. Just beautiful, beautiful things. So in classics, um, and we also have really a wide-ranging library, so it's innovative. We have our own properties, but also a lot of licensed titles, um, and uh, again, adult and children's puzzles, which has just absolutely expanded. So I think if we follow along, making sure we try to offer things in those categories, uh, we'll continue to see the success that we have. Julian, this has been absolutely phenomenal. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And I love your story because. It shows how your footprint has grown. Your marketing footprint has grown throughout your career. You started on a cruise ship. How can you make these people happy? And then it expands into specialty. How can you make 
those people happy and now international distribution of all of these great spin master games so your footprint has just grown over your career and i think that is just a phenomenal phenomenal story thank, thank you, you for coming on and, and sharing yes it's, it's just been wonderful um, how can people reach out to you reach out to spin master find out about their games and get involved Oh, sure. Well, I always, always go to spinmaster.com. We also have, um, for, for games in particular, if you'd like to follow our Instagram channel, I think it's at spinmaster games. I think it's a fabulous um, uh, display of the types of games that we have. Um, and it's a pretty popular uh, place to be. Um, but uh, again, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I do connect with a lot of people there. And you can find Julian Sharp on LinkedIn. That's where I have my uh, uh, business profile. Julian, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid Podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And leave a good review on iTunes. This helps us find more great listeners just like you. Remember also to check out the other shows that are a part of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. This show is brought to you by the Power Kid Design and Development Team. We are a full-service design and development studio serving the toy and game industry for over 20 years. Our partners, large and small, rely on us for invention, concept development, packaging, branding, prototyping, and much more. You can find me on my LinkedIn page, check out the website at powerkiddesign.com or email me directly, phil at powerkiddesign.com. I am always happy to connect and help you develop your next great product. It's been an honor to spend this time with you today. Now go out and make something great and remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless and I'll see you next episode.